0: Welcome back to another episode of the Bucket Seat Podcast. In this episode, I speak with well-known Canadian drifter, fellow ginger, and extremely nice guy, Riley Sexsmith. He and I discuss how his deep love for automotive began, life as a pro drifter in Canada, how the pro versus grassroots drift scene shapes up, and what he has in store for 2020. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. All right. Well, listen, everyone. Um, welcome back to the Bucket C Podcast. I am here in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, um, with a gentleman named Riley Sexsmith. And if you know anything about drifting and the FD series, you probably have heard his name before. Um, I'm here at his uh, at the at the the shop that he uh, he finds himself busy with. I think every day called Envy Auto. Um, and so, why don't I just start it off with? Uh, you can do like a little rattle down of name what you do here at envy what you do outside of envy as a driver um and then a couple of your accomplishments and if, of course everyone can't see it but just to my left is this awesome trophy case that uh riley was able to point me towards which is uh, some of his accomplishments and he's going to explain those to us so uh yeah we'll start off i mean do uh name and rank because that helps me with a little bit of the promo that i cut it to- to- together as well
1: Okay. Yeah. So name, Riley Sexsmith. That is a real last name, despite being asked constantly at events, where'd you come up with that? <laughs> I have no idea. It's my grandparents. You got to ask them. Okay. Um, yeah. So I work at N B Auto. Uh-huh. I answer the phones, book appointments, order stuff, do some bookkeeping, light paperwork, open the shop in the morning most of the time, a little bit of everything, kind of a jack of all trades, definitely a master of none. <laughs> uh, and then outside of the shop, I drive in Formula Drift Pro two as of right now. Okay, maybe Pro next year. We'll see.
0: Yep, and we'll get into kind of what um, what Formula Drift is in kind of the second segment segment of the show today here. But in terms of some of your accomplishments and when people don't necessarily know what um, what exists in the drift world, I mean, what are you trying to achieve? I and mean, some of these trophies that are up here right now, um, walk us through those. So they start with CSCS trophies. So, I mean, I'm
1: sure you know CSCS, but for people not in Southern Ontario, that's our kind of <laughs> local time attack drifting car show series it stands for Canadian sport compact series. It's been around for, I think, 15 years now, something like that. And uh, that's where I got my start. So there's a few like just single event, probably third places, not, not many first places. Uh-huh. Um, I believe there's one for like a second overall in the season. It would have been probably five or six years ago. Uh, and then there's a few MDU trophies. So that's kind of following the chronology of mm-hmm. my drifting started mm-hmm. at CSCS. We went to the U S to Midwest drift union. Uh, I got a third place in, oh geez, I don't even remember now. There's a first, a third and a third. <laughs> I, I remember the first cause that was at streets of Detroit. It was the last ever streets of Detroit. Luckily I won that event oh, before cool. they got rid of it forever. So that was like a really special one because the event was amazing. Right downtown Detroit. In front of michigan central station like it's 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 a wild event and
0: that's why I, I didn't know that that even that that had even happened i'll have to go and check i'm sure it's it's on youtube they, i'm sure oh yeah they yeah.
1: did it for i think three or four years and uh i guess they tried to go back for another one and the city had issues and it was hard for them it, it was it was a hard event to run they had to shut down streets and like there was upset neighbors and like, of people course trying to get to work and they couldn't because the road <laughs> was closed so right. but it was super cool to be driving on the streets with police there, but they're not arresting you. They're just watching and enjoying. Yeah. So, thumbs um, up
0: instead of pointing to the curb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> so there's those, uh, I think I got third overall in the championship for, I think that's 2015 or 16, which got me my pro two license. And then the following year, there's a formula drift third place. That was Texas of my first season, my first event really. Uh, and wow, then, that's a nice start. Yeah. And it went downhill very quick from there. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at the end of the following season, uh, I got second at Irwindale, which was last. So the end of last year, uh, so, and then it's been, eh, it's been an on and off season this year. So, right. But that kind of covers my drifting stuff. And then you can't see him, but on the wall up there, I have some, uh, rally cross trophies too from.
0: Oh, cool. I didn't year, really.
1: Yeah. It was many years ago in my Subaru life. Awesome. It was yeah.
0: Um, cool. Okay, so we've we've gone through some of the uh, the accomplishments. What's really neat is that the two uh, Formula Drift trophies look like they're made of carbon. They are actual uh, carbon fiber. Yeah. Very badass looking. Nice hardware to have up on the wall. Midwest um, Midwest Drift Union. So that was in between CSCS in the chronology.
1: Yeah. So CSCS, I guess, is an amateur series you can maybe call it a pro-am it really depends on who's running what cars. sometimes there's like five or six pro cars there and sometimes just all street cars but uh midwest is right in between that cscs and fd it's right. a pro-am series it's an fd licensing series
0: oh cool okay um
1: and it went away for a couple of years Uh, It's back now. They did one of, now they're doing one big event every year. So instead of like multiples that you have to travel to, it's like one, it's like three events in one weekend, basically. But so that is based in the Midwest, which is hardly Midwest. It was like Michigan and Indianapolis. (laughs) Okay. It was actually closer. The reason we did that, it was either going to Formula Drift Canada or MDU and mapping it out the MDU events were a few hundred miles less driving than going to like, cause it's a lot of Eastern Quebec and that's a yeah. long drive. So we kind of had to make a decision. We're like, you know what? We don't speak French. So we went to MDU and it actually worked out really well because I got linked up with a lot of people and um, I made a lot of sponsorships through that. It was, it was a good move.
0: Awesome. Oh, I mean, that's, <laughs> it certainly works out uh, proximity wise um, for you. With Midwest, um, you talked about it being a an F D licensing series. Yeah, maybe explain a little bit for you know idiots like me who don't really understand the licensing process. Like, what does it take to acquire a license, and how does that process work?
1: Yeah, so it. I think it may. I'm not super well versed on the details. Uh, it may depend on how the series wants to do it, but mm-hmm. for MDU, I think it was the top three or four get a Pro Two license, and then there are different series throughout the U.S. and actually throughout the world, they're FD licensed, basically, or sanctioned. Okay. And if you do well enough in their series, they'll give you a Pro 2 license. So there's two ways you can get- So it's like based
0: on accomplishment? Yeah. Okay.
1: Basically, some say you have to win one event and qualify for all the, you know, like there's different criteria, I think, depending on the series. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them will do one big event, like uh, MDU and U.S. Drift this year did one event, It's like three days and whoever, I think the top three get FD licenses basically. Cool. So there's that, that's the licensing way to do it. Mm -hmm. Or uh, you can also petition to get into FD. You go to them and say, here's my accomplishment. You basically bring them a resume and say, this is what I've done. Sometimes they'll bring you out to a track and like watch you to make sure you're not a full idiot. Right. And then... And then you can kind of petition your way into Formula Drift. That's how Adam LZ did it. Okay. That's how there's a couple other uh, people in Pro 2. That's how they did it. They basically said, this is what we've done. This is what we have. This is what we're going to bring to your series. I'd like a license. And then they can kind of make the call from there
0: interesting okay that's that's an interesting way to do it i had no clue that's how it all worked mm-hmm. um cool okay so now into what we do with all of our guests i, sh- I say we like it. there's a bunch of us here it's just me Room for um, people. <laughs> in the in the beginning um i like to know what it was that got people into cars so what was it that inspired you i mean what were you what were you passionate about at a young age to keep you into cars or was it later on in life that you were introduced to them and you fell in love with them do you even like cars <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what got me into cars. Uh, Ever since
1: I was a small, like before I could talk, I had toy cars in my hands. Like it's just, it's been ingrained in me since day one. Yep. I have a feeling it's genetic. Both my grandfathers had, uh, one was the auto parts distributor who also had like a wrecking yard. Oh, nice. And the other one had a trucking company. So like the automotive industry is kind of in my DNA. Mm -hmm. Neither of my parents really like cars all that much, which is kind of weird. Because that's what I spend all my time dealing <laughs> with. Right. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it wasn't like one particular moment or event or anything. I just loved cars from the start. I grew up watching like Dukes of Hazard and Smoking the Bandit mm-hmm. and like all these car movies. And then I absolutely, it just like was an obsession from as soon as I could talk, basically.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I uh, I always find it really interesting to know what car you first owned when I have guests on here. So it doesn't have to be one that you bought yourself. Maybe someone was kind enough to pass one down to you or maybe you stole one or uh, you didn't buy it. That's all it is. So what was the first car that you ever had ownership of? Uh, the first one I owned, I
1: bought. So I I had a deal with my parents where if I graduated high school with a certain mark, they would help me buy, or maybe it was the end of grade 10, actually. It was before I graduated. But uh, if I finished the year with like a, a average, no way. they would help me buy a car. So I had saved wow. money working yep. through like a paper route and stuff like that. And they had agreed to split it with me. So it was a 1995 Nissan pickup. Oh, cool. At the time I was riding motocross. So I had had dirt bikes before that yep. I bought through like my paper route and stuff. And uh, I wanted something that I could haul them to the track with. So obviously needed a truck and I was looking for something economical, cheap, reliable, came up with it. I was looking for at any small truck and I just happened to get a Nissan truck, which turned into basically my career path, funny enough down the road, but that was it. 95 Nissan truck, uh, I got fully duped. The mileage had been rolled back like 200,000 no kilometers. So I bought it, it had 92,000 kilometers. And then when I hit what would be a hundred thousand, it just rolled back to 90 and would just never go past 90. And eventually I took the cluster apart and you could see like the two and the three were all scratched up. So it probably had about half a million kilometers on it. That's amazing. It was, it was rotted and it was all bonded. Like (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing when I bought it. So that lasted me for five years. It broke in half when I was driving it. The The frame split in two spots and, uh, a truck served me well. It well, drive me... well driving, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, god. I was racing a Saturn View Redline, <laughs> and oh, it was a close race. And uh, nice. yeah. I it, it just felt funny. I was on this like kind of undulating road, I'm like, man, this thing just doesn't feel right. So, I got home and I looked underneath, and sure enough, the frame was split in two spots, and it was basically just the bed that was holding the front Jesus. and the back together. That's crazy. So, luckily, I wasn't doing more than 120 miles an hour, so yeah. We're, it
0: was okay oh man okay so that kind of leads into the the natural progression of the next question which is uh did, did you ever tinker with cars and and wh- wh- what was it that you started tinkering on so i'm going to assume that it was with this truck you were doing a lot of work
1: yeah i mean really basic stuff so i started tinkering with my bikes when i was younger mm-hmm. just because i couldn't pay someone to fix them so yeah i had to learn how which meant breaking a lot of stuff because mm-hmm. i was very ham-fisted and you know, if it didn't fit, a hammer would make it fit, which is not the right (laughs) way to do any of that stuff. Yeah. There
0: are, there are a few, uh, there are a few mechanics like that out there. there. Yeah.
1: So I started with the truck. It was just basic maintenance and then I lifted it, even though it was two wheel drive, and then I lowered it because (laughs) I found out you couldn't go off road anywhere with it. Yeah. Uh, and then it kind of grew from there. A friend of mine had one. And that same guy bought a 240SX, and he started drifting it because some guys came up, like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta take your car to this drift event." We had no idea what drifting was. This was about 2008. Okay, and is that is that here in Canada? It was in New York. Okay, yeah. So you spent
0: a lot of time growing up in New York. Yeah, so
1: I spent 13 years in New York. Okay, Uh, I started driving in Canada. I bought the truck in Canada, but my good friend Ken uh, lived just over the border in on Grand Island, New York. And uh he had the exact same truck. So we both had matching red Nissan pickups and we modified <laughs> yeah. them. He got a two forty SX. Okay. And then S thirteen? Yeah, S thirteen. Nice. Yeah. Uh, single can. It was an eighty nine. Uh the first one I think was an eighty nine hatch that he crashed and then he got a ninety hatch mm-hmm. roller that he put his drivetrain from his other one in. Nice. Anyway, he got started in like local drift events. So I started going out to those. So I'm like, oh, I need to lower my truck. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. And then it just kind of exploded. It went from like, you know, oh, I'm going to change the brakes to now we're building engines and doing all sorts of wild stuff.
0: Were there many trucks drifting at that time or were you kind of not pushing that I, the boundaries?
1: Like this is kind of before Facebook and like MySpace era. So I didn't have this yeah. big network of people that I kind of talked to. Uh-huh. Like now I find a lot more drift trucks out there, but mm-hmm. back then... There was one guy named Mike Schwartz. I think he's in Ohio or Pennsylvania. And he had the website, The Drift Truck. And it was a Mitsubishi Mighty Max. Or actually, sorry, it was a Dodge Ram 50, which is a Mitsubishi Mighty Max. Okay. And had a 4G63. Oh, no way. And uh, with the truck transmission. It had dual smoke stacks with flamethrowers in them. <laughs> and he used to do like demos at all these drift events and competed. I can't remember the series now. This was probably 2006 or seven. And that's, that's actually what inspired me. I'm like, someone's doing this. I could totally drift my truck. Like someone else has done this. Little did I know that my truck was a thousand times worse than his,
0: but <laughs> that's- And those are, op- those are open diff trucks too, aren't they? Yeah, right. yeah, I you think the diff and...
1: technically you could get a limited slip, but they're super hard to find. So yeah, yeah, basically that red one, my first one, I never ended up really competing with or drifting with because it was so far gone that like everything about it was a safety concern. <laughs> like my, my <laughs> right. radiator support fell out on the highway on my way to school one day. Like I ran something over, I'm like, what was that? Get to school pop the hood and the radiator's just hanging by the hoses i'm like
0: huh nice this truck's very rotten <laughs> thank you canada yeah exactly um okay so at that time or this would have probably been a little oh no, no this is actually lining up perfectly with it so so you got your you got your truck when you're in high school mm-hmm. um you know generally there seems to be a cool car when i'm wearing when you know we were all in high school what was the cool car that everyone kind of had to have uh when you were when you were in high school
1: so there was two. So I went to a really small high school. It was kind of a weird shock because when I was in New York, I did my first year high school in New York, and that was like a school of like 1,700 kids. Wow. Oh, my and then God, I that's went, that's huge. My grade 10, I went to Ontario, mm-hmm. not a school of 390 kids. Oh, wow. So it was a bit of a shock. Uh, so. More or less just having a car was pretty cool. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. there were two of my classmates. One had a 03 G35 coupe and this would have been in 2007 so okay. it was like fairly fresh. Yeah, yeah. And the other one was a a good friend of mine had a 2003 uh BMW 530i with the M sport steering wheel and it was a manual transmission. So he oh, was cool. like he was like the cool kid. Right. And or he's like, like it's an M5. It's oh yeah. totally an M5. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Other than, you know, he would race everybody. I think he crashed it in front of the school a few times. Of course. Like but basically, if you had a car, you were pretty cool. And like the fact that they had like three or four year old kind of like luxury sports cars, they were. Yeah, they that's were, huge. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. I had my little pickup truck in grade 11 and I suddenly became a lot more popular yep. now that I had a vehicle. Of course. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, anything with wheels and if you had a license, you were cool.
0: Those G35s, I remember when they came in, like along with the 350Z. Um, there's something about it. I mean, I know now it falls under so much criticism, but the sound that those with the VQs yep, made yep. was just so new to I think anybody who was interested in cars at all at the time. They just had such a distinct sound they that do. I thought that was super cool at the time and they just didn't age well and now you know. I I hear
1: some and I'm like, "You know what? That sounds good." Right. Like, the guys who just like chopped the mufflers off, it yeah. sounds awful. Right. But there are some out there yeah. that can think, sound pretty nice.
0: Doesn't uh Sasha from On Point has yes. a, he has a 350Z yep. and that has, he still has a VQ in that, right? Yes. And I've he, heard that it is one of the best sounding VQs. That car sounds incredible. So yeah. it has
1: individual throttle bodies okay. and he- No big deal. <laughs> he Well, he 3D printed and designed most of the stuff God. on that engine. So yeah. I think he has the highest horsepower naturally aspirated VQ, at least in North America. Wow. It puts out, I want to say 400 and change to the wheels- Naturally aspirated, which is really impressive out of... I think it's maybe stroked. There's a Speed Academy episode on the whole engine. I can't remember all the details, but that car sounds incredible. But to the guys with like chop mufflers on his O3 350Z with 400,000K. It sounds terrible.
0: Yeah, no, they're no good. I'm actually, I have uh, on on Friday this week, I'm chatting with Sasha again, going oh, up to the yeah. shop and talking to him a lot about electric and the future mm-hmm. of what's happening with Mountain Pass performance as well. But um, I know it's Kells, I think, is his 350Z yep. race car. And so I'm, I'm so interested in the kind of dichotomy there with uh with what he's got. It's going to be interesting, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, You're a pro drift, drift driver. And... That's super interesting to me. I can't say that I've ever interviewed or even met a pro drift driver before. So this is awesome. And I have a ton of questions. So we're going to dive into some of those. Um, you'd mentioned Formula Drift uh, before. So that's the series that you're running in. Um, give us a, just a quick background on Formula Drift because it's not, this isn't something I, I know a lot of listeners are from Canada. There are a lot from from the US as well. Formula Drift doesn't just exist in Canada. This is a North American series. Or is there, uh, did they remove the Canadian... Uh, event. I can't remember how that all. So works. there used to be
1: Formula Drift Canada, yeah. which is what I I also competed in that series. I never did well. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was that started in 2000 and I want to say fifteen 2004. No 2014. Okay. FD Canada started. Um, but FD US, I want to say started in 2004. Okay. Maybe 2005. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's been a fairly well-established series in North America for a long time. They did have a round in Montreal at St. eustache I want to say for three years, as okay. part of their, what they called like the FD World Championship, which one round in Canada suddenly classifies it as a world event. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. either way, uh, but now it is just based in the US. They have eight, for the Pro Series, they have eight rounds uh, all across the country. And then Pro 2, my series, mm-hmm. uh, they have four rounds, still fairly spread out, but not quite as spread out as the Pro series
0: gotcha okay um and now pro 2 versus pro what's the what's like the cole's notes on the differences there
1: so the major there are some regulatory differences as far as car setup goes uh there's a few more restrictions on pro 2 cars than pro but basically pro 2 is designed for guys like myself who started in pro-am and want to get to pro but need the experience uh to get the car set up to get a team set up Mm -hmm. to kind of figure out if it's viable to do at a pro level. So pro two is like that. It's the same staff, it's the same tracks, it's the same layouts, uh, the same schedule as pro, just half the amount of events Okay. and a little bit less, just a little bit less of everything that we're limited to one size tire, 255, 35, 18. There's two okay. options, okay. Nexon or Achilles. That's all you can run. Right. The car has to weigh more than 2,900 pounds with a driver. That's pretty much it, actually. The rest stick to the pro rules, but we can't have a huge tire, and you can't have like a super lightweight car. And no uh, power,
0: no power limitations. No, you can have as much power as you want,
1: but yeah. because in doing that tire limitation, if you have fifteen hundred horsepower, you can't put it down. Yeah, you're just realistically, shred there's us. guys I compete with that have like five hundred horsepower, and guys that have like just over a thousand it's hard. It's really hard to kind of outrun someone when you are all running on the same tire.
0: Right. So it's a lot of tire management. Is that kind of, you know,
1: tire accurate? Yeah. Um, there's, there's so much that goes into it, Right. but basically pro two is just designed to kind of get your feet wet in pro drifting Mm -hmm. without having to do an eight round series. Cause before 2014, I think is when they introduced pro two, you basically went from pro-am to pro. So I could compete in three pro-am events, win a license and now I'm competing with like the best drifters in the world. And it's such a huge jump. They yeah. kind of need something to bridge the gap. For some people, it's not such a huge jump for me. It would have been a huge jump. Yeah. So pro two kind of allows you to slowly. It's like a hot bath, you know, you got easier way, <laughs> yeah. easier way into it
0: instead of just jumping in. Right. I mean, it seems to make a ton of sense for the progression to the sport. Um, Now, in terms of preparing yourself for 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 events, um, you said there's four across, over the course of the year. Um, what do you do for training? I mean, how do you train to be a... It's not to be a drift driver. Now, you are a pro drift driver. What do you do to keep your skills sharp? Like, what do you do to to practice? I mean, what what is the, the actual act of practicing like for a pro drift driver? I don't practice that much, unfortunately. It's very expensive to run the
1: car. Yeah. So, usually... Like certain seasons, I've only driven the car at the events. Like there's no real practice in between. Mm -hmm. I have my original drift truck that I built back in 2009 that I can use sometimes, but like you're still driving, but it it doesn't really translate because I'm driving something with a hundred horsepower versus something with 850 horsepower. So it it kind of translates, but it doesn't. So honestly... I don't do a ton of practicing, which is probably where the gap in competition comes in because someone with a big budget and a lot of, well, a good climate too. So like, for instance, guys that live in like the Southern US Mm -hmm. with good budgets can drive their cars a lot all year round. And seat time really is the key. Like talent will get you so far, Mm -hmm. but it gets to a point where you just have to be in the car all the time to get comfortable with it. So... I was doing as much practice as we could. We'd do some local events like CSCS. Uh, grid life is actually really good for us because one grid life event is like more seat time than the whole FD season typically. Wow. Yeah. So okay. That's What's
0: the closest grid life to... to Gingerman. So Gingerman. that's only okay. six hours, right.
1: which is totally doable. So that's usually my practice for the years, like one or two grid lifes, And then I was doing like physical training. Yeah. Uh, I was doing a lot of like CrossFit stuff and running, and I was on a very strict diet. And then I just got super lazy. So I haven't done that in (laughs) a year. And honestly, it actually showed in my results a little bit because the previous season, I qualified better. I finished higher. And this year, without the like physical conditioning, I did poorly. I didn't think it would make that much of a difference, but. Mm I honestly think it does.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a, there's a ton that goes into it. Actually, it leads into the question in terms of, um, like mental preparation, uh, you know, there's all the physical training and then there's all the tech and then there's the seat time, but do you do anything in particular to kind of get your mind focused or find yourself in kind of that, I think a lot of, um, coaches talk about athletes finding their like flow state um when you're just in that really perfect set of or, um uh, uh like state of focus. So what do you do? Like is there anything that you do to try to keep yourself in that or prepare yourself for it or uh, a routine or some a regiment that you go through before a race or sorry before an event.
1: This is something I've been really working on because that for me my biggest competitor is my own mind mm-hmm. and it always has been. Uh I'm naturally very pessimistic and like as soon as one thing goes wrong like that's it we're never going to qualify nothing's going to go right the car's going to break like it's it's really hard for me to keep like a positive mindset so uh i don't really have like a routine or like i don't like rub two stones together like hop on one foot you know like <laughs> right? i don't have yeah, like yeah. A, a routine i go through to get ready usually whatever song that i like at that time i'll probably just sing to myself <laughs> in my head and uh, i like to be in the car like a long time before we have to necessarily drive. So like if there's qualifying, like I'll be in the car half an hour before I have to even drive. Like I don't mind sweating and sitting in there, but yeah. just I can kind of like zone, tune everything else out and just like be there with my thoughts, which is sometimes good, sometimes bad. <laughs> yeah, right. But it just kind of lets me focus
0: on one thing. That's awesome. I mean, that 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 sounds like the right kind of like state to put yourself into. Um, now, um, in terms of your travel schedule, you know, like what do you have to do for, for a season to to get to all these races? Like maybe go through kind of some of the locations because that must be, you know, part of the the battle too is there's a lot of travel involved even for four events, I imagine. Yeah. So, I mean,
1: they've luckily, they've made it a little easier on the pro two guys versus pro because pro has, uh, they'll have one event in New Jersey and then the next event is in Seattle. So oh, wow. So it's like... It's like California, Florida, New Jersey, Seattle. So they are like crisscrossing the country. So for us, there's still a good amount of travel. I think the closest event is 12 hours away. The furthest one is 23 hours away, 24 hours away, 24 hours away. Oh man. So uh, my crew chief crew member, Mm -hmm. a friend of mine from high school, actually in the US, my friend Mike, uh, him and I typically split the drive. So I'll pick him up in Buffalo Or he'll meet me here if we're going across the border in Sarnia. Mm -hmm. And then we just split the drive. So we'll rotate fuel tanks. Uh, Our shop truck gets about 650K to a tank. Okay. So every, we'll say 500K, we'll switch. So it's usually every six hours. So we drive in six hour shifts until we get there. Yeah. Usually we'll go straight through. Dove likes if I stop and take a break overnight. But most of the time I just (laughs) want to get there. So (laughs) like Florida, we drove straight through. Uh, Texas, we did stop for the night. We kind of had to, on the way home though, we drove straight through.
0: Jesus. But there's that, a lot of, a lot of driving to do more driving.
1: It, that's the thing. So it, it gets kind of tiring. So we'll leave on like Tuesday, get to the event Thursday morning, usually set up the rig and then go to the hotel. And then the next morning will be practice and qualifying. So it's like a lot. Typically an event takes me a week because I have to leave two days early and then it'll usually take a day and a half to two days to get back home. Right. So it's a lot of, a lot of travel. It would be nice to fly. It's just not really in the budget for everybody. Dove will usually fly in. Um, and, uh, like my girlfriend will fly in or she'll go in the truck. It just depends who you can get what day's off, but
0: fair enough. Sorry. We should mention probably. So, uh, you've mentioned Dove a few times now yes. and we're sitting in his office. Right I'm now. sitting in his chair. Sorry. And, Dove. Yeah, And so we've gone back and forth a, a couple of times through the, the interview. Um, where I'm sure you can kind of hear some of the 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 sounds of the shop. we're, we're literally at NV Auto in the shop, and there's, um, you know, Riley's run back and forth a few times to just to you know to take care of the shop. So Dove is, uh, w- what's his role in Envi? I mean, I know it, but let's let's hear it all out for everyone listening. See,
1: yeah, Dove is. Uh, he's one of the owners. He's, I guess, I I don't know how to. I don't know what his official job title is. He's in charge of a lot of stuff. Like I can say that much. <laughs> yeah, so, right. As far as like the business aspect in the shop, mm-hmm. he's always looking after um, a lot of the, like like he takes care of all the bills and like does a lot of the paperwork stuff. Yep. Um, a lot of the financial stuff. And then in the racing side of things, mm-hmm. he does all the logistics. He books all the hotels for the year. He mm-hmm. books all the flights for himself or whoever else, to, else has to fly. Mm-hmm. He kinda gets all that stuff organized way ahead of time. He's very good at it. He's mm-hmm. been doing it for a long time. So he can get usually good deals on hotel rooms and like knows where to book and what to book. And yeah. It's uh so he does double duty in and out of the shop of basically running everything behind the scenes. Right. It's a big job. So- it is a big job, and I don't think people really understand how much work goes into just planning each event and it it honestly makes it super easy for me because we just get there and I say, "Duff, what are we doing now?" "Duff, what are we doing now?" "Duff, what are we doing now?" And like he's got everything planned out. The man with the plan. Yeah, exactly. So it for me, it's nice because it takes like I, there's guys that I drive with that have to do all of this themselves, and honestly, like I I don't know how they do it. It's I'm so impressed by guys who have to run their own team and drive and wrench on the car. Like it's unbelievable that they can do as well as they do because I've got enough going on in my own mind without having to worry about booking hotels and flights and food and like doing this and doing that. So it's right. it's a lot of work.
0: And on top of all that too, they most of these guys, like yourself, are, you know, they they have they have full time jobs. Mm-hmm. They're working hard day in and day out. And then to to lump all that on top of it for an entire season, it uh, sounds like a sounds like a lot. I mean, it's clearly a commitment and it's a passionate one too. But yep. um, speaking of that, I mean, what is your what's what's the goal? What's the goal for you as a driver um, in Formula Drift or just as a driver in general?
1: My my goal would be to at least place well in an FD Pro event. I mean, that's more of like a short term goal. Mm-hmm. I would just like my ultimate goal is to just make driving cars my full-time job regardless of what it is or what it's doing <laughs> yeah that sounds I mean, pretty badass it doesn't mean i necessarily want to be like a taxi driver yeah but like driving cars competitively would be the ultimate to make a living so right now i 100 percent do not make a living doing that mm-hmm. and it's funny because people are like oh you you race cars now like you must be making good money nope not even close spending right. good money not yeah making yeah good money it's so. really
0: um i imagine it's that top 5% or maybe even less than that that are driving that are doing it professionally aren't aren't working another job that are actually making money and they're probably making it off endorsements like yep. a lot of athletes right That is
1: exactly yeah so there's probably i would say a very small percentage of the FD pro field that do it for a living don't work a full-time job and like make a living at it and like you said it's usually through partnerships or like they drive the car, but they're also running a YouTube series and they have their own right. shop that they prep their own car with, but they'll do work for other customers and they, like Forsberg and Turk, they have their like blackout garage and they have endorsements from gum out that I'm sure I hope pays them well. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, they have to do a web series and they have to build cars and then they have to run their own race program. So it's a lot of work and they're making a living at it, but you know, I don't think there's any millionaires. It's not like NASCAR where guys are being paid seven figure salaries to drive the car.
0: Totally. I guess on that on that point, I mean what do you see as the trajectory for for professional drifting in North America? Um, I know it, we were talking about, uh, you know, we both had, I'm sorry, I had an S13. I forget. Did you have an S13 at some point? I technically
1: owned one that ran for two days. Okay. And then I never drove it again.
0: <laughs> okay. So back then, uh, drifting to me was something that was just kind of a figment of my imagination when I saw YouTube videos from Japan. And yep. I was like, oh, cool. Yes, I totally get it. I understand it. I was super into it, but didn't really understand that it was happening in North America. And it's definitely crept into the limelight um, in a lot of ways in over the, you know, let's call it the last 10 years. Do you see it continuing on to become more and more popular? Because, I mean, it's such a spectator friendly motorsport, which is really rare in motorsports. Also, why NASCAR does so well is that you can sit in one place and watch the entire event. Yeah. So, to me, it seems like a no brainer that it's going to continue in popularity and it's going to do better and better. Like, you as a driver, where do you see the industry going? I hope that it, is. it has been since I
1: got into it on an upward trajectory. When I started, When I first started, I was actually driving to the U.S. to do practice events, not knowing that there was events in Ontario that were closer, but like, just the the publicity wasn't out there. So I remember Mm -hmm. starting drifting in Shannonville in 2009, and you'd show up to an event, and there was maybe 25, 30 cars there, and you're like, ooh, 30 people, ooh, busy day. Now those same events are selling out, and they're capping it at like 120 cars. Wow. So it used to be just like, you could be on the track, the only person out there, Or like three other cars. Now you have to wait in line for 20 minutes to get on the track and it's loaded. So I have seen the scene, especially in Southern Ontario, explode. There used to be basically CSCS and then uh, it went through so many different names. It was Drift Ops. It was like all these different names. Mm -hmm. And they did like three or four events a year and that was it. Now you can do an event every weekend if you want to. There's... There's Top Drift, there's Drift Jam, there's CSCS, there's um, some other ones closer to Ottawa uh, that are running out of Calabogie Motorsports Park. So if you want to drive every weekend from April to October, you can do a drift event within four hours of Toronto, which is pretty incredible because it used to be, you'd be lucky to get one a month. So I've seen the scene in this area explode. It's like the amount of cars I see at the tracks now is insane and this is at more the grassroots level it's funny sure. because the competitive side of things has really fallen off i find at least at the like the professional level there's a ton of grassroots competition and like mm-hmm. bash days yeah right but fd canada is no more dmcc has kind of shrunk from what it used to be uh cscs the last couple seasons has seen a big decline in competition but then grassroots events have exploded Drift Jam has, I think, nine or 10 events this year, and they are like doing incredibly well. The events are selling out. Top Drift, their bash events, Hollow Bash and Boonies Bash, like their seasonal events. Mm -hmm. They have like 200 cars, and it's insane. So it's kind of a weird shift that I've seen in the the drift scene in in this area, at least.
0: That's amazing. I mean, also, also great segue into the next question, which is kind of the difference between the, I mean, we, we talk about it as the grassroots scene in drifting versus the pro scene and um you know there's i don't know if it's um if it's animosity if it's just like completely different or competing priorities but what do you see as the relationship between pro drifting and the grassroots scenes and like kind of how those relationships are working
1: yeah i i don't know where this stems from i mean i started as grassroots as you could possibly get i started with a pickup truck that my friend and i built in his shop and his girl, and it's like dad's welding shop. And I drove it every day. I drove it to events. It was never going to be a profession. It was like, I like to do this on the weekends. So here's what I have, which is my truck, because that's what I had at the time. And, mm-hmm. and that, and, but I never had any animosity towards professional drifters. I was just like, wow, that is really cool. Like being able to do it at that level is really cool. But there's this yeah. shift lately where either you're in one camp or the other. For some reason like if you're if you're grassroots like you have to hate on the pros fd is a joke like pro cars are stupid because they have tons of horsepower and angle and they i keep hearing like oh it's all the car like the cars drive themselves it's so easy to drive like all you do is floor it and like if you could do that like it, it, it's always like all oh, the guys from japan with like stock s13s that come over and like crush everybody now there are some very good drivers in japan But I've also seen a lot of American dudes go over there and beat everybody. So I know that that doesn't stand up. Right. But basically it's just like you, there's this kind of, it's not everybody either. I think it's just kind of a very vocal minority that says like, if you're not driving like a slammed S13 with 300 horsepower at bash events, like you're terrible for the sport of drifting. Like you don't understand what drifting is. You're ruining the sport and i don't quite get that because it's like uh, i was i said this to dave the other day i'm like mm-hmm. it's like you and your friends playing road hockey and then saying like oh the nhl's a joke like anyone who plays professional hockey is an idiot like nobody know. nobody it's the skates that do all the work. it's like it doesn't make any sense at all so right. I, oh sorry i got to grab this for yeah
0: this. Okay. okay so we were saying it's i mean it probably very similar in a lot of cases to um, a lot of different scenes which mm-hmm. are um a small vocal minority that are, you know, causing most of the problems. For me, as an outsider, kind of looking into it, it kind of it, a lot of a lot of these um, a lot of sports require there to be the professional level in order for the amateur or the grassroots levels to to flourish because they're the ones that attract in kind of a lot of research and development, mm-hmm. some bigger names, bigger money. They attract a lot of things that I think help to fuel the whole scene. And I totally get that if you just want to keep it real, like I I skateboarded for, for forever. And yeah, so it's the like, same thing with like cross skate. skaters
1: versus like guys that just like do street
0: totally stuff totally and um and i think that yeah like it, it just i don't think that it would ever really in my opinion contribute to a super healthy uh sport or the development of a sport if it needs development i'm sure people could argue that it doesn't need it or it doesn't need to develop any further beyond what it is cuz it's for the enjoyment of the people doing it but Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think pro sports certainly play a huge role in it. I'm saying that as a guy who doesn't really know a lot about sports, but in (laughs) in in in, in motorsport, I mean, it certainly seems to make a lot of sense to me. Like, if I want to go out and do track days, I'm not going to hate on the fact that you know there's an IMSA series. Yeah, uh, that's,
1: and I just don't get it. Like, and I think what a lot of people fail to realize well, for one, like, I'm on both ends of the spectrum because I drive mm-hmm. a pro car in FD and I have a 130 horsepower pickup truck that is like held together with duct tape and like zip ties that I go and I just like thrash on. Yeah. On like small go kart tracks. So, like, I have both ends of the spectrum. Totally. And I,
0: that's important for anybody listening to understand, too, is that, yeah, Riley certainly is, on, is in both of those camps already, yeah, which is.
1: I don't see why they have to be. Mutually exclusive Like I don't know Mm -hmm. Why you can't just Enjoy both Like if you don't Want to be a pro drifter That's fine Yeah Not everybody wants to be That's totally fine (laughs) I'm a really competitive person So I need to know How I stack up Against other people I can totally go out there And have fun for a day Shredding with friends Like not caring about You know Clipping points and all that Just like having fun With my friends, even by myself, if I can go out and do laps and just slide around, I'm having a great time. But there comes a point where I'm like, all right, am I better than this guy? Am I better than this guy? And I need to know that. Not everyone's like that. And that is 100% totally fine. Yeah, yeah. So I don't get why there's this camp of people that say, if you're a competitive drifter, like you're ruining the sport. Not really, because it's giving the sport more legitimacy. So if you, let's say, you go to a track owner, of a track that maybe hasn't had a drift event before, and you will mm-hmm. say, hey, we're coming here to drift. If they have no idea what the sport is or all they've ever seen is like kids with clapped out BMWs and 240s, like ramming into each other on a skid pad, they're like, I am not. I don't want that on my track. Of course, yeah. But if you show them like, well, this is what drifting is, and you pull up like, you know, um, Formula Drift or like uh, Drift Masters, and th- this is this is the sport. Like, Oh, hey, maybe this is something we can get behind. Like this brings people, this instead of just wanting it to be this like small like niche closed off group where like if you aren't already in the scene you can't get in it that's it like it's it's for us only i, I don't i don't understand it
0: no i'm i'm totally with you and having been really close with the guys from drift, drift jam i mean uh Devo and Jover have been on the show a couple of times. I mean, I think I had them on the show before Drift Jam had even started mm-hmm. and we talked about like this all coming together as something new that was about to happen and genesis of it, why you know it was it was a really interesting time and I think pretty formative. I'm super happy to hear that things like that are continuing to fuel people getting into the sport. Yeah. And if they progress to a pro level, I think that that's awesome, but like you said, it's not necessary. It's not for everybody. Absolutely. Um so with that, I mean, what does for a pro driver but you you know also enjoying the grassroots side of things. I mean, what does 2020 look like for you?
1: Hopefully, more what they call quote unquote lifestyle events. Um, so grid life, for cool. instance, yeah. I there's another one that they just started at Pikes Peak, which we didn't get to do this year. No because way, we found out about it pretty late in the year and just didn't have an. I mean, it's a long drive for us, so we really didn't have enough time to get everything organized to make that event. So, next year, I'd like to do all of the grid life uh, festivals because Mm -hmm. they're incredibly fun. Those guys really know how to run an event. And, uh, it's a nice change from FD, not that there's anything wrong with FD, but it's not what you'd call fun competing at a professional level. I enjoy competition, but it's very stressful because I'm there to do well. So a lot of it is very serious, very focused grid life is just literally there's like, go out and have fun. So it's, it's like a big break. So grid life we've been talking about doing pro and FD, but it really comes down to funding to do a complete eight round series is very, very expensive. Uh, even to just do pro two is very expensive. So to double the amount of travel (laughs) and events gets very pricey. So that's kind of up in the air right now. Ideally, I would love to be able to do some pro events and drive with pro drivers, uh, grid life's, hopefully some more local stuff. I, Really love what Jover and Devo did with Drift Jam. I think the events are fantastic. I've been to one. I can never, ever make it out. And all the time, like a couple nights, hey, you going to come out? I can't. you going to come out? I can't make it. So <laughs> I would right. love to be able to bring my truck out at the very least and do a few of their like fun events because they, they put on a great event. It's super chill. There's a lot of really interesting, neat cars and like... A lot of my local friends go and drive there, so yeah. If I could get a few of those in next year, along with all the good lives and some pro, that would be the ideal 2020 season.
0: I like it. I like it. So Riley, let everybody know where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, so the main, our main Insta- I'll start with Instagram. Yeah. The
1: main Instagram account is enviauto at Envato. That one is the most active. Dev runs that one, and he's very good at Instagram. So mm-hmm, he is. Yeah posts every day, all of the events we do and all that stuff is all on there. I have my own Instagram mm-hmm. at sex Drift, mm-hmm. which is more photos of cars that I like and pictures of random abandoned buildings and <laughs> my motorcycles. And like, it's a, a little lifestyle. bit of everything lifestyle. Yeah, like kind of my random stuff that I see and enjoy. So it's not always the most exciting, but uh, that's my Instagram. And then we have our own YouTube channel, we do a lot of work with Speed Academy, so we're usually in a few of their episodes. Um, this, The YouTube channel for us is Envy Auto. It's yep. straightforward. Nice. And then our website, EnvyAuto.ca. It's not very exciting. There's a web store on there, though, so if you need parts, like check it out.
0: Yep. These guys know a lot about Subarus. That uh, we do. A lot yep. about Subarus. Not that you don't know a lot about other cars, but uh, it is certainly clear as I look around the shop and I see kind of the history of some of the things that you've been driving and i mean we didn't even get into the car and the setup and everything that you're running last year and maybe what you'll be running this year yeah uh, but my hope is that we can do this again um uh, hopefully later in this season absolutely uh as we're leading into getting in what's the first uh what's the first uh fd event date wise in 2020 Do you know so
1: it would it's usually early april it would be long beach which is typically okay. the it's the week before the grand prix nice. at long beach okay. uh, and i can't remember the exact date but usually it's- early april if we're not doing pro Pro two is typically Orlando, mm-hmm.
0: which is the end of April. Awesome. Well, we'll certainly look out for it. We'll definitely talk before then again. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's been awesome being able to chat with you, Riley. I mean, we all wish you the best of luck in 2020, be it in pro, be it in pro two, even at the grassroots events. I'd love to come out and see you drive there too. Um, for everybody listening, this has been the Bucket Seat Podcast. I'm Trevor Byrne, your host. You can follow me at The Bucket Seat on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the things on the internet. And you can email me directly at uh, trevor at thebucketseat.ca. Um, keep hitting me up with episode suggestions, guests that you want to hear, and new topics. Um, and we'll keep doing these for you. So, um, again, thanks, Riley, from Envy Auto in Hamilton. Uh, this has been The Bucket Seat Podcast. Thanks, guys. Cheers.